You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Caleb Wilkinson. I'm grateful that each of you are here this morning, and I hope that you are as eager to sit under God's Word with me as our children were to get out in the snow yesterday morning. That was wonderful, wasn't it? That, that uh, was a thrill for my family and our neighbors. We all gathered out in the street, just loving watching it come down. Um, something else that's uh, providing a similar thrill in my home right now with my kids, and that won't melt away uh, very soon, it doesn't seem, is Star Wars. So we got Disney Plus for Christmas, and it's loaded with like every Star Wars movie out there. And my kids have like this natural curiosity about Star Wars. I uh, wouldn't call myself a huge fan, maybe a distant fan at best, uh, but they have a curiosity that I can't seem to hold back. And uh, it's not like I want to or anything. uh, Star Wars is good. um, It's it's fun watching them get excited about it. Um, But I, I saw the old Star Wars movies. Uh, you know, episode three, four, and five, or I guess five, four, five, and six, and uh, I was just too young to get into them. But when episodes one, two, and three came out in the theaters, my older siblings took me to see uh, them, and that was, that was when I got into it a bit. Um, and one of the most striking experience, experiences Star Wars has given me is when I was walking out of the theaters uh, from episode two. So if you've seen episode one and episode two, it's, it's basically the rise of Anakin Skywalker. He's this uh, slave on an obscure planet that gets accidentally discovered and, and, and brought up this sort of rags-to-riches story. He, uh, he, the force is strong with him, and he gets to marry the princess. And so I'm leaving episode two thinking, this is great. I love this guy. This is exciting. I can't wait to see episode three. Um, uh, I, this is a hero I admire. It seems like everything is going well for him, and uh, this is wonderful. And uh, that's when my oldest brother said, I can't wait to see episode three and watch him turn into Darth Vader. And uh, I was like, what? It was disorienting to the max. I I was 17, so I I think I actually began to argue with him. No, this isn't possible. He's a good guy. Darth, this isn't Darth Vader. This is a good guy. And uh, my brother responded calmly uh, saying, no, uh, you know, he does turn into Darth Vader. I've, I've read the books. And I was like, what? There, there's books? Uh, uh, what, what? How can this be? This guy seems to have everything going for him. He's on this trajectory that's only looking up. How does this happen? And so, of course, when episode three came out, I had to watch it. I don't know if I quite believed my older brother that he was going to turn into Darth Vader. Um, and so episode three, you'll see it's, it's horrible. It's like one of the greatest tragedies in fiction out there. Uh, At the end of episode three, Anakin, having turned to the dark side, the evil side in the Star Wars uh, narrative, uh, he's fighting his mentor, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Obi-Wan Kenobi is the one who's mostly responsible for for, uh, Anakin's rag-to-riches story. And uh, Obi-Wan defeats him and is sort of leaving him sliding down a hill into hot lava, watching him die. And Anakin is uh, cursing uh, Obi-Wan. He's saying, "I, I hate you. And, and this is Obi-Wan's response to Anakin. is really the climax of, of the tragedy. He says, Anakin, y- y- you were the chosen one. 
You had the force. You were supposed to bring order back to the, to, to, to the force, not disorder. I loved you, Anakin. Basically, what he's saying is, Anakin, you had everything, everything, and you threw it all away. Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader by throwing it all away. Well, do you know that each of us is at risk of throwing it all away? Are you aware of that? We, we all are, Christian and non-Christian alike. We, we don't have the force. We don't have the love of a Jedi master. We have something far better. Something far better is available to us. And if you're a Christian, it's already in your possession. Our Bible text this morning will remind us of these precious possessions, and then it's going to challenge us not to throw it all away. It calls us to perseverance. It calls us not to become another casualty. And it will show us what this, this perseverance looks like. And this is super important. John Piper says that unless you commit yourself to a life of perseverance, you too will commit apostasy. Meaning you'll walk away from, from your faith. You'll walk away from your possession. So if you're like me, you might not feel the danger of throwing it all away. I, I don't typically feel this danger. Uh, but then again, I didn't see Anakin Skywalker going where he went either. And, uh, and to go biblical, the disciples didn't see Judas doing what he did either. Now, contrary to the depictions you might see in art, where Judas is like this evil-looking guy and everybody knows it's Judas that's going to betray Jesus, the disciples didn't have him pegged, or else they wouldn't have been asking Jesus at the Last Supper, who's going to betray you? Is it going to be me? Is it going to, who's, who's it going to be? Friends, each of us is in grave danger of doing this same thing. Each of us is in grave danger of doing the same thing. But, but this text we're about to read has been given to us to serve us. It's part of a good warning, part of a warning that pushes us to remedies. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the text. We're going to read uh, Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be a Bible in the, the seat in front of you. And we're going to be on page 652. And if you want a Bible, you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you that one as a gift. So please take it. So we're going to be in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. I'm going to read that now. And uh, friends, this is God's very words to us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, we are in need of you this morning. We... um, we're in need of your help. 
We thank you. You give us good warnings, Lord, not, not to scare us, but to, but to help us because you love us. We pray, Lord, right now that you would help us, that you would help us uh, by inclining our hearts to your word, by opening up our eyes to what's here, and to, by giving us understanding, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us see Jesus in this text. You'd help us savor him, and you'd help us become more like him from one degree of glory to another. And we pray, Lord, that you'd use this text to help us persevere, to protect us, to hold on to us. We pray this for your glory and for our good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I believe God wants us to know that our precious possessions compel us to practices of perseverance. Our precious possessions compel us to practices of perseverance. The text begins by laying out our two precious possessions, and then it will call us to the uh, call us to three practices of perseverance. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the precious possessions first. Um, typically, you know, it's, it's difficult to jump into the middle of any letter. Uh, it's typical to jump in at the end of a letter. But this particular text isn't a bad place if we're going to do it because verses 19 through 21, they serve as a hinge to the whole book of Hebrews. So in this hinge, it actually gives a summary of much of the book up till now. And so l- listen to the summary again, verses 19 through 21. He says, therefore, okay, the therefore marks a, a transition in, the, in, his book, in his argument. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, okay, uh, that, that's the first part. Did you notice the possessive, the, the possessive words, since we have, since we have? Okay, he's giving a summary here, and, uh, and he's, he's pushing on the possessions before he calls us to action. As is often the case, the author is, is getting ready to move from doctrine to application. He's getting ready to move from gospel truth to gospel conduct. For the last 10 chapters, he's just talked about these grand gospel realities but the, but the grand gospel realities are so crucial for the rest of the book that he pauses to rehearse them again before calling his readers to action. Okay, so these grand realities are the treasures we possess, all Christians possess, and that every non-Christian is invited to receive. These precious possessions are access to God and an advocate with God. So first, access to God. Did you, did you see that in there? Since we have confidence to enter, confidence to enter, we have authorization to enter God's very presence. We have entrance to God, access. Now, I got to pause here because we're a bit disadvantaged in seeing the wonder of this. We, we don't necessarily see access to God, God's presence as an amazing privilege. In our, in our day, even for non-religious people, access to God is sort of a given. We might even say things like, everybody has access to God, right? Well, what's the big deal? Doesn't God want to talk to me? Don't dismiss the exceeding precious privilege it is for broken and fallen people like me and you to come into the presence of the God of the universe. 
We don't think this way, but it's a serious thing. This is meant to be mind-blowing. It was for these first Jewish readers. It's, it's calculated to thrill. One of my pastor's college professors, Ray Van Ness, equates this access to security clearance. So for those of you with any sort of military or government background, you'll know a bit about security clearance. To get security clearance, to get a privilege to see highly sensitive and important information, you got to have two things. you got to be important or have an important job, and you have to have a squeaky clean record. Okay, That's what you need for security clearance. So just imagine coming up to the door of God's presence and having an angel check out our importance status and our record of loving God and loving others well. Okay, There's no way we're getting in. We're not important enough, and our history of loving God and loving others is not squeaky clean. Okay, And being perfectly holy and good is God's entrance requirement. But this text says that we have a special access card, the blood of Jesus. So so pretend when we show the, you know, the angel says, hey, no, no access granted. We, we give him the access card. And what he would see on the access card is son of the king, daughter of the king. And maybe in this scenario, the angel saying, ah, yeah, I see the card, but did you steal it from someone? You sort of, this guy looks a little criminal. So he types in your, your information. And this is what pops up on his little angel computer, okay? All records erased. Access granted, cleared to proceed, okay? Imagine the place you want to be the most in the world, the place or the person uh, that you don't have access to, okay? I don't know if that's a person or it's the moon. Um, imagine that feeling of being there and then times it by, a, by infinity. That's what we have. And, and guys, this, this is the gospel. This is why the gospel is good news. It's good news because we were made for God's presence, And the Bible says that it's here alone that there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. But but because of sin, God's presence isn't joyful. It's terrifying. It's scary. Later in this letter, the author will say God is a consuming fire. And without this access card, Jesus' blood, we're his enemies. And thus... It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But with this access card, we're assured that we won't taste God's anger because Jesus has absorbed it in our place. We're no no longer his enemies. We're his friends. We can enter confidently. We can enter boldly. We have authorization. We have access to God's warm, loving hospitality. And it's the best gift you can ever imagine. We have, we have access to God. And we have access to God because we have an advocate with God. Verse 21 says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, we, we, we have an advocate. That's, that's what a high priest is. And I understand that the role of high priest is a bit unfamiliar to us, but it's important to understanding uh, the argument the book of Hebrews is making. I'll try to do my best, like, Bible project summary here. Um, Before Jesus came, access to God was restricted to one man called the high priest, and only on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. And on that Day of Atonement, the high priest would come in, and he'd make a sacrifice for his sins and the sins of his people. 
before he was permitted to enter the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. And when he went, he went as a representative of all God's people. So all God's people went with him in a way. Okay, but when Jesus came, he came to replace this whole sacrificial system, this whole priesthood. And he did so by by dying on the cross for every sin of his people, past, present, and future. And he didn't and he and he didn't stay dead. He he rose. And his resurrection means that he didn't only defeat death, but that his priesthood will last forever. The effectiveness of his sacrifice for us will never stop working. And so we have a new and living way because we have a new and living friend. What was once reserved for one man and only on one day of the year has been made available to all of his people every day of the year through the sacrifice of himself. So guys, we have access to God because we have a forever and all-sufficient advocate. And he knows we'll shut the door on ourselves. And so he stands there, always ready to put his foot in the door and hold it open. He's our forever high priest, our, our advocate that will never die. And so we'll always have a place because of him, because of our advocate. So these are our possessions. We have access to God, and we have an advocate with God. And the entire letter up until now is, 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 is pushing us to see this, is, is showing us that we, because we possess these things, we are the richest people in the universe. Jesus Christ is better than anything and anyone else. He made the entire universe. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He created the world. He sustains it. He's the sustainer and the king of the universe is our friend. We know someone in a very high places. He's given himself to us. He's ours. Friends, again, this is the gospel. The, the heart of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins, but he He died for our sins not merely so we can have a guilt-free eternity, a clear conscience for for all time. He died so that we could have Him. The good news of the event is that we get Him. The good news is that because we are forgiven, we get God. God, getting God Himself is the good news. God is the gospel. Jesus isn't just the price of our salvation. He's the prize of our salvation. So much so that one uh, contemporary writer coined the phrase, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you get that math, you get the book of Hebrews up till now. Okay, this is the math equation of Hebrews. Jesus plus nothing else equals everything. You get that math. You get the book of Hebrews up till now. And one of the main purposes for giving that math and, and, and spending so many chapters uh, helping us get this, because this, this author wants to warn his readers. It's written to people being pressured to forsake the faith. It's, it's, it, they're, they're leaving their access to God. They're leaving their advocate with God, or they're tempted to. And the author is pleading, don't do it. Jesus is greater. Don't miscalculate. Don't throw it all away. He's worth it. He's worth it. So the entire letter is a warning not to drift away from such a treasure. This would be the real-life version 
of Anakin Skywalker throwing it away. This would be the tragedy of all tragedies to have Jesus and then to walk away from him. It's called apostasy. And the opposite of apostasy is perseverance. Now, it's difficult to see the danger of apostasy in our text alone, but the reason is because this is a part of a warning. It's not the whole warning. It's a part of the warning. But if you want to see the, 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 the graveness of the warning, just read the whole chapter or read the whole book. And really what, what we can do is just read the next two chapters to get a glimpse of it, or next two verses to get a glimpse of it. I'm, I'm going to read those, verses 26 and 27. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And a few verses later again, it says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you reject the access card, you walk away from the access card. You walk away from access. You walk away from Him. Christian, you are richer than you can ever imagine. Don't throw it all away. You're in possession of paradise itself because paradise isn't a place so much as it is a person. And, and, and the people, the readers knew this. They knew God was the prize of all prizes. His readers were embracing this already. Uh, listen to verse 34. It says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So he's saying, you know that you have the lasting treasure. Don't throw it all away. Like, like, like a, this, is, this is serves us like a road sign saying, dangerous curve ahead. And the sign itself keeps us on the road. Our passage is going to be that for us. It's going to give us the how-tos of perseverance. It's God's means of help. The warning is God's means of helping us persevere. So we're going to move on to the practices, but, but let me just talk to those of you who don't yet know this treasure. If you don't know Jesus as your treasure, as your advocate, if you don't trust in what he's done for you, if you're not a Christian, please know that we're, we're very honored you're here. We're glad you're here. But this next part of this scripture isn't going to be something we're calling you to because calling you to practice as a preservation for something you don't have doesn't really make sense. But what we want you to know is that this treasure, this precious possession, is available to you free of cost. Listen, the people in this room, this church, is shaped by our possessions, our shared possessions. We're not good people. We're not strong people. We're not smart people. This church is made up of people like me who have Jesus. And this possession is available to you. It's not our gender or education or job or or marital status, or wealth, or hobbies that unite us. It's, it's Jesus. Our possession of Him is our fundamental identity. And my challenge to you moving forward with the rest of the morning is to consider Him as the greatest treasure possible. As if our church were placing a lottery ticket in your hand and saying, this is the winning, this has got the winning numbers. I'd ask that you consider Him. And if there's a way we can help you, please, please grab one of us after the service. Or, or join us for Alpha in January. We'd love to tell you about Jesus because when it comes down to it, he's all we got. 
For us Christians, God wants us to preserve our riches. He wants us to make it. And getting the order right here is crucial. It's the difference between Christianity and all other religions. It's not practices that lead us to a great possession. It's not perseverance that leads us to the prize. It's the other way around. It's the prize that leads us to practices. It's the possession, the precious possessions, that lead us to perseverance. So, so before we're commanded to do anything here, we're reminded of our possessions. And do you see this argument? It's our precious possessions that compel us to the practices of perseverance. Here's the argument. Since we have, since we have, let's persevere. And to help us do so, he's going to call us to three remedies against the deadly disease of apostasy that each of us in this room is susceptible to. The privileges demand the practices. In fact, if you're not faithfully pursuing these practices, you might not actually have the possession. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about pursuit. If you don't faithfully pursue these practices, you might not really have the possession after all. And these are the practices. These are the practices of perseverance that are going to be given. Number one, running to God through faith. Second, remaining with God in hope. And the last one is reinforcing God's people with love. So first, let's talk about running to God through faith. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So there's a lot here, but it's sort of simple. Having, having God, having access to God causes us to go to God. We, we have this gift, we use it. That's basically what it's saying. We don't receive such a wonderful gift and then not use it. How, how do we do this? How do we use it? The text says we do it with a sincere heart. We come to God because we want God, not because we want things from God. We come to God not playing games. We come to God not pretending uh, or going for you know, appearance. What will other people think? We come to God because we desire God himself. We come with a sincere heart. And we come with full assurance of faith. So we draw near to him through faith. Faith is confident we have a legitimate security clearance card. Confident we will not be turned away because he has cleaned us already. We come convinced that he has authorized us to come. Commentator Thomas Schreiner says, Our assurance and confidence do not reside in ourselves. If we considered our, our own worthiness to enter God's presence, we would rightfully be filled with fear. But fear has no place, for we have been sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ. The evil that defiled our consciences is washed away forever. So we draw near to God confidently. And let me just make a note on this. This is, this is not a flippant approach. This is reverent. He's our king. It's respectful. So it's reverent, but it's, it's also relational. Uh, faith isn't some like just mere uh, intellectual assent to some facts. Faith is about a person. Faith is relational. And, it's, and it's, it causes us to draw near to a person. And, and finally, the drawing near is reverent, it's relational, it's also uh, repetitious. So drawing near isn't a decision, it's a discipline. We, do, we, we have access to God, and so we repeatedly run to Him through faith. One of the best pictures I have of this in my life is my four-year-old little girl, Elena. So 
nearly every day I come through the door after, after coming from work, and she sees me and she runs to me as fast as she can with her arms up uh, as to be hugged and, 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 and held near and whatnot. And, and she, see, she doesn't have access to me all day. But when she first gets access to me, she runs as fast as she can, boldly yelling, Dada! Still, she's four and she's still doing it. It's like the best feeling in the world. So she runs confident. I will pick her up and draw her near. And, and this, is what a, this is a picture of how we are to practice drawing near to God. Day by day by day. We do it through Bible reading. We do it through meditating on that reading. We do it through singing and praying. And, and we're even doing it right now. We're drawing near to God right now together, listening to God's Word, singing songs together. So, so one, one, one issue, though, one problem, one, one thing that's going to keep you from drawing near to God in a repetitious, bold way like this is ongoing sin. Because okay? ongoing sin blinds us to our possessions. And so, you know, or maybe this is you this morning. Is your unchecked anger at your family causing, is, is, it, is it hindering your prayers? Is the shame of an addiction you gave into yet again causing you not to spend time with God and His Word? When Elena does, knows she's done something wrong, she approaches me a bit differently than I just described. She sort of has her, uh, kind of looks at her feet, but also at me at the same time. I don't know how she does it. And what, what, she, what she's looking for is access. And the thing that works the best for her is, is me just kind of getting on, on a knee and, uh, you know, opening my arms. That's, that's her sign. Come. You'll be accepted. Come. You have access. And, and if this is you this morning struggling seeing your possessions in Christ, struggling seeing your access, I ask that you look at this text. Do you, think about Jesus' posture on the cross. Think about my posture with my little girl. This text is telling you that God's posture to you right now in the midst of your sin is the same. You have access to Him. So run to Him. You, you may hear accusing thoughts, but you have an answer. I come not because of my virtue, but because of God's grace. I run to, at His beckoning knowing His arms are open wide. I, I, I'm holding an access card that He bought and gave me. This is faith. And real faith never exists by itself. Real faith always brings fruit. And, and one of the fruits it always brings is hope. Real faith always births real hope. And so the next practice of perseverance is sort of a very natural progression from the first one. Look at verse 23 with me. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So remaining with God in hope is the second practice of perseverance. We stay with the God we've drawn near to, which is opposed to getting sucked back into the world that we, that we left. So let us hold fast. Some, trace, some translations say, let us hold unswervingly. The idea uh, is sort of this. You know, the NFL playoffs are going on right now. Uh, this is sort of what would happen if a team was winning. Uh, they have the possession of the ball. They just need to run the clock out. And at the timeout, the coach grabs the top running back and says, we're putting the ball in your hands. Whatever you do, do not drop the ball. I don't care if you get a bad handoff. You fall on it if it falls out of your hands. You hold on to the ball. I don't care if you trip and fall. I don't care if you get hit harder than you've ever imagined. Hold on to that ball with all of your life. Do not let it go. Our text is saying hold on 
to our possessions like this. Well, what are we holding on to? What is the ball in the analogy? We're holding on to the whole doctrine that was just stated. We're holding on to our access to God. We're holding on to God Himself. We hold on because they're, they're precious possessions. Hold on tight to the gospel. Don't fumble it. Don't leave it. Remember, Jesus is better than anything and anyone else. So, so remain true to Jesus who you originally set your hope on. Trust in His finished work. Let's hold on without wavering. Now, without wavering shouldn't be confused with sinlessness. It's not that you can't fall, trip, or, or uh, you know, or whatnot, take a, take a tackle, take a sack. Uh, it's not a perfect run to the end zone, but it is holding on with all your life saying, I will, I, I will die before this ball comes out of my hands. So maybe another next question is, how can you do this? Is it because you're strong enough? Is it because you're good enough? Hold fast because you can do it. Is, is our text calling us? Is it our text saying, just know you can? Like it may be a coach. No, the, the last part of the verse is vital. It says, hold fast for he who promised is faithful. Hold on to Jesus because he is faithful and he has promised to hold on to you. This is why Matthew Henry says, we trust more in God's promises to us than in our promises to God. That's why we can do it. We remain with God in hope because He's promised to remain with us no matter what. Uh, when Monty and I uh, are in a crowded place, maybe Christmas shopping or whatnot when we don't do it on Amazon, uh, a place that if our kids got lost, they could get snatched or, lo- you know, or lost, uh, or if we're crossing a dangerous uh, intersection together, we usually get on one knee look at our kids in the eye and say, this is dangerous. Hold on to my hand and do not let go. Do, do you understand? And our kids, of course, shake their heads, yes, we'll do it. And uh, we've had a number of times, though, in the middle of an intersection when the hand is saying, you have no more time, the red blinking hand, and they see a penny or a pebble or something, and they just all of a sudden drop. We're trying to walk fast, you know, to get to the other side, and they just drop and pick up a penny or a pine cone or something. And uh, so we, we tell them, hold on to us, but we know they're weak. We know they can get distracted. And so what we do is we hold on to them. We hold on to them with a much stronger, more faithful hand. And this is what, this is what the challenge is like. This is what the practice is like. It's, it's a little hand holding on to a much bigger hand that is also holding on and much more faithfully. Okay. So just like our children, though, we know, we know we're prone to let go of God. And two of our biggest threats to holding on to God is adversity and prosperity. You might be saying, prosperity, really? Prosperity is a uh, challenge to me holding on to God? Yes, there's something, you know it, I think if you think about it, there's something in each of our hearts, something inside residing strongly in my own heart that causes me to love money more than Jesus. And so I don't draw near to Him. There's something that resides in my heart that causes me to love comfort more than access to God. So I hope in, in other things instead of Him. And, and this is real for me. At the end of 2019, I was sort of getting all my taxes in line, trying to kind of maximize ethical tax efficiency. You know, that's where you, that's where you uh, ma- either maximize your return or sort of minimize what you're going to pay the government. And so I found this like consuming my thoughts. It was stealing times of prayer, stealing times of Bible reading from God. 
Prosperity is dangerous because comfort's dangerous because it, it, it gives us all these other hopes for satisfaction and security that are outside of Jesus. And, and friends, again, this is, the, this is sort of why the writer is writing the book of Hebrews. Because people are tempted, strongly tempted to, to leave Jesus for comfort, the comfort of not being persecuted. Friends, let me say this. What a dangerous place we live in in the United States. United States. What a dangerous place we live in in North Dallas. Is this you today? Do you, do you find yourself spending more heart energy on pursuing money and the American dream and entertainment and comfort and less time, less heart energy, enjoying God? Is your primary hope that you belong to God or is it something else? Friends, this passage is for us. These words are God's very big and strong hand reaching out of the pages to grab us. Think about your possessions. Jesus is better than money. He's better than comfort. He's better than any entertainment out there. With him, we're the richest people alive. Where, where else are we going to go? This prosperity isn't the only thing that threatens our practice of remaining with God. Adversity also does. Suffering exposes our hearts to temptations as never before. It tempts us to think dreadful things about God. If God loves me, why is this happening to me? He must not really be good. Why am I, why am I still in pain? And for so long, he's not faithful. Some of you are suffering and you have hard thoughts like this toward God that any of us are susceptible toward given the same circumstances. You have chronic physical pain. You have a bleeding relationship. You have hopes and dreams at work or at home that are dashed. You're doubting his faithfulness. Why would I remain with God who doesn't seem to be remaining with, with me? Listen, chapter 4 says that Jesus is a sympathetic high priest. It means he knows your weaknesses and your, and your struggles perfectly and that he's with you and that he loves you. And if you have him, no matter how great your loss, if you have him as your sympathetic high priest, you have everything. These words that we've read are, are meant for you to feel the strong hand of God holding on to your little weak hand, holding on to you right now. So we remain with him. He's faithful. And this, is, this is what hope looks like. Do you want to know how he holds on to you? One way he holds on to you, um, well, just take a look to your right or to your left. Okay, meet, meet eyes with someone next to you. One major way God's holding on to you, intends to hold on to you, is looking right back at you. The next practice is about God's people. The practice uh, is reinforcing God's people with love. So, so look at verses 24 and 25 with me. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, friends, these, these verses might begin with the two of the most radical words for us. If you've noticed, they begin each of the practices. The words are let us. 
Let us, let us, let us draw near. Let us remain. Let us hope. Hold fast. Let us stir one another up. They're, they're radical words because we're plagued by a strong cultural current that, that emphasizes our fundamental identity as individuals. And we've, we've, we've been infected with that. This, this is foreign to Scripture, and it's foreign to much of the Western world, or the, out, the, the world outside the Western world. We say in the Western world, I think, therefore I am. But listen to this African proverb, famous African proverb. It says, I am because we are. I am because we are. This text calls us to something very uncomfortable because these let us commands are communal, and we're so individualistic. And I'm like, I'm, I'm the worst. I, I'm not only a North American, I am a marathon and ultramarathon runner, and pretty much that's the epitome of an individual sport. And so for lots of years, I've been training by myself, racing by myself, and I'm very tempted. I've, I've had a hard time not making this a, a fundamental identity of mine, uh, but I'm very tempted to approach my Christian life in the same way. So, so our text is going after me as much as anyone uh, when it says our running to God and our remaining with God is a community thing, okay? It's a community thing, which doesn't mean that it's, it's not an individual thing. It doesn't mean we don't read the Bible by ourselves and pray by ourselves. It just means that it's a lot more than that. So we need this corporate call this morning because, listen, the mature Christian is to say, I don't intend to get there without you. Like the whole notion of no man left behind that's biblical. And the, the, the movie, the Pixar movie, Cars, gives us a great picture here. If you've ever seen this movie, the, the first one, you see Lightning McQueen, the great race car, winning the Piston Cup, okay? And he's, he's, he's all, all, all but won the race. But as he's getting ready to become the champion, he looks in his rearview mirror and he, he looks back and sees his competitor, Carr, uh, who's a veteran on his last race. He sees him crash. So what Lightning McQueen does is, is, is radical. He stops inches before the finish line, puts it in reverse, gets behind this crash car that will not make it to the finish line without him. The, other car, the second place car passes him, he loses, and he, and, he, and, he, and he pushes the car in to the finish line. He says, I don't intend to get there without you. This Pixar gave us a redemptive picture of Christianity because Christianity is a team sport. And Christianity, basically what, what does in Christianity is what you thought was an individual sport is turned into a team sport. So Christianity is a team sport. It's a t- it, perseverance is a community project. And our text shows us what this community project actually looks like. It, it, verse 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So we're to consider others the, the consider word here is interesting. It's the word for watching over. And Ray Van Ness says, basically the idea is watching someone like a hawk. Watching someone like a hawk. It's us saying to one another, remember, this is corporate. Um, it's members saying to members, I'm going to watch you like a hawk. And the very first chance I get, I'm going to encourage you to love and good works. It's not quite the way we typically use watch you like a hawk. That's the way it is. I'm going to watch you like a hawk, and the first chance I get, I'm going to encourage you to love and good works. So we're called to watch each other closely. So that means if we're doing this, we're paying attention. We don't say something like, well, I don't know how long Sally's been gone, maybe six weeks, eight weeks, something. I really don't know. 
And the watching has a purpose, and it's more than just keeping attendance. It's the purpose of encouraging. It's a purpose of motivating others to a more productive life of love. So it happens when you're driving home, you're at work, you're, you're actually think, thinking about the, the other person. You're driving to work or to a small group, and you're saying, I wonder, Lord, how, how can I encourage Pat to love and good works next time I see him? Okay, so, we, so we're called to watch, and the way we do this is we spend time together, and, the, and we get to know each other, and the way we do not do this is by neglecting to meet together. We don't give up meeting. In the first century, it was the habit of some to give up the meeting. That, that's crazy, right? Sure glad we don't deal with that today. <laughs> Joking aside, th- this is a serious matter. In order to love one another, in order to persevere, we need to meet. And we meet so that we can encourage one another. Encouragement means exhort, to strengthen. It means reinforcing each other. And reinforcement isn't accidental. It's planned. It's costly. It's, it's going to cost you leisure time if you're going to do this. You might have to give up a sport or a hobby or a job promotion or whatnot. And these aren't bad things, but reinforcing one another is better. And if you choose, have to choose between them, you don't neglect love. This is love. It's costly. It's costly, but we do this, the text says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is referring to Jesus' coming back. And just like at the end of all of our lives... It's sort of like the stakes are ramped. We want to make sure we're giving. When our time gets short, we want to make sure we're, we're giving ourselves to what matters most. The day of Jesus, Him coming back, is meant to do the same thing. It's meant to give us an urgency. So when we think about the day of Jesus, which, is, by the way, is closer to us than anyone previously in history, it's meant to, to stir an urgency so that we give ourselves most to what will ma- matter most then. Let me, let me tell you something, church. I, I see you doing this so well. I've been, I've been a personal recipient of your encouragement. And time after time after time, one of you has come up to me and asked, how can I encourage Jack right now? How, I know Sally's going through quite a challenge. How can I help? We're not doing this perfectly, but you need to know that your pastors are filled with gratitude when we think about the ways you're faithfully pursuing one another. What we see in the church, we're talking about this Friday night, what we see in this church is a miracle, maybe even more so than a physical healing. You guys are doing this well. And so we want to say thank you, and I just want to say keep going. But just like at the end of a game, we want to say keep going, but we can also grow here. We could also grow. One of the reasons is most of us struggle with self-sufficiency. And I've told you, I've played my cards, I, I, that's me. And this puts us in danger of not persevering, especially if we're sliding into any sphere of life where we're operating in solitude. You're needy of others. You're needy of others to encourage you. You're needy. The text says uh, that in order for you to make it in this journey, you need to be watching and encouraging others. So you can't be doing this by yourself, obviously. Whether you make it to the end or not is riding on your loving and intentional involvement in church. You're needy of others. But you're also needed. We, we need you to do this for us. You're a part of the team. You're a vital part of what God is doing here among us. Our sanctification, our perseverance is riding on your faithful participation. So, so don't try to make it alone to the end. The Bible says you won't 
make it without loving, intentional relationships. And of course, this can happen a variety of different places, right? This can happen at our Sunday Sunday morning meetings. It can happen in the next 15 minutes. Um, But let me tell you where your pastors are praying they take place in particular, and that's small groups. And we, we pray for that place in particular because Sunday morning isn't most conducive to this. You got to really know someone to encourage them in the most meaningful of ways. And so we can't manufacture these sort of relationships in small groups. We can't make them, but that's what we're praying for. We're praying that God, the Spirit, will create them and stir them there. And, uh, and we're not just talking about meetings. We're not talking about just the, the, the meeting. We're talking about the relationships that are formed in the meetings. But it takes the meeting, we think. It takes a priority of the meeting to form redemptive relationships that will then spill out of the meeting to, to your living room or when things go bad or, or whatnot on the telephone. So what I'd ask is if you're not in a small group, we urge you, please join one this semester. There's a place for everyone. If you're married and you've not done re-engage yet, consider joining us this spring. Well, you know, ministering to marriages for years now, one of the, one of the greatest uh, and stark realities is that the people who seem to struggle the most and fail are people who are doing their marriage in isolation. They're not sharing what's really going on behind closed doors with, with friends. They care for them. They're, they're missing out on people watching them to encourage them in their marriage for, to love and good works. So re-engage is an opportunity for you to pursue this. And if, if, if you're fairly new to the church or you're a member, not in a community group for whatever reason, jump into reframe, jump into generous living, jump into grief share and grow with others. Commit to grow with others. If you're a member and you're not in a small group and these don't work for you, please join a community group. Please do everything you can to do so. You're needy and you're needed. We need you. Our corporate witness of love in our community rides on your faithful involvement. Our perseverance, the perseverance of each person in this room, is riding on your real involvement. So the application would be join us. For all of you in a group, just remember, this is a reminder for many of you, mere attendance is not going to get it done. We say that the goal of small groups is to grow and sustain disciples through the mutual ministry of redemptive relationships. And these don't just happen automatically by attending. We can't just show up and expect to be served. We've got to lean in. And it's not the pastors or your small group leader that's the only person called to serve you. It's everyone. It's everyone caring for everyone. Remember, this is a community project. Everyone should be watching each other, knowing each other, reinforcing one another. It's each member taking responsibility for each member. This is the miracle of mutual ministry. And I charge you, jump in. Jump, and we need you. Join the miracle. So I'm going to land here. We've, we've, we've heard uh, the three practices of perseverance. We've heard that we are to, what we are to do in order to persevere. And it's very simple, running, remaining, and reinforcing. Okay, running to God, remaining with God, reinforcing God's people. The very, very simple. And if, if you're wondering, am I going to really make it? I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I, I encourage you, grab a friend and evaluate yourself on these categories. And ask God to help you give you assurance that you have the possession, help him, ask his help to help pursue these practices. So these are simple. If you actually caught it, you'll, know that e- you'll notice that each one of these corresponded to sort of the ABCs of Christianity. Faith, 
hope, and love. Okay, very simple, but also very difficult. Very difficult, so difficult, we won't be able to do it even together. We need help, but here's the good news. The help we need is already, is already ours. Remember, we got access, we got an advocate. Remember the good news, the one who we are to run to has already run to us first. He draws near to us even now by His Spirit, by His Word, through His people. Remember, the one we are to hold on to is holding on to us with a bigger, stronger, more faithful hand. We remain with the faithful one who held fast. He fastened himself to the cross in order to hold on to us. And he's promised never, he'll never leave us. And finally, we strive to reinforce our friends in love because our all-sufficient friend Jesus is always watching us to encourage us to love and good work. So let's remember him as we seek to persevere together. Let's do that right now by singing to God, singing to him about our great possession we have in our Savior and our friend Jesus. So if you'd stand, we're going to sing, He Will Hold Me Fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hope through life's fearful path before my love is
Father, when we're afraid our faith will fail, we know Christ will hold us fast. Through life's fearful path, our love, love is often cold, but we confess together, we believe we can make it because you're holding us fast. And that's what we ask, Lord. We ask that you hold on to us. Empower us to hold on to you. Give us courage to run to you in the midst of our battle against sin. Give us strength to remain in hope, in adversity, and in prosperity. And Lord, we pray, overcome our self-sufficiency and help us love each other so much we actually watch and reinforce one another. We need your help, O Lord, and, and we thank you that help is exactly what you promised to give. We thank you that all of your promises are yes and amen with Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.